Eternal Kingdom is written by Michelle Roger. This book is edited by Brendan McWilliams. Sound engineered by Steve Nett of Computer Room Services. Graphic novel drawn by Tom Duncan. Music composed, performed, and recorded by Michelle Roger. Congratulations, Steve Nutt and Computer Room Services, for your Parsec Award nomination for Deathmatch for sound editing. And now, Eternal Kingdom, Chapter 14. Geraldine lay on the floor shivering in pain from cold and hunger. Her eyes burned. It was difficult to see. Imaginary bugs were driving their tiny needle-like stingers into her scalp. The ringing in her ears had just started, adding another layer of misery. She pulled the blanket off the bed and wrapped it around her thin body tightly. Maybe she could hold herself together, in every sense of the word, if she could just make it tight enough. Through the ringing siren of her mind, she listened intently for James. He had left hours ago. The pricking of thirst had gone from slight to a raging fire in his absence. What if he didn't come back before sunrise? What if he stayed away, letting her wither in her undead anguish? She could have cried if she had possessed the ability. The dealer had become the addict, and she fell into a deep pit of self-loathing. She considered ignoring his order to stay in their room. She would just go out and make a quick kill. She could be careful. She was sure she could. But James had warned her. The members of the team had told her their stories of getting caught. She would spend more than one night feeling this way if she did get caught. Her throat smoldered, raw and agonizing. James' treatment of her was deplorable. She would have to take her survival into her own hands. Throwing the blanket off of herself, she smoothed out her t-shirt and jeans. She took a deep breath and opened the window. Gauging the distance between her second-floor window and the ground, she pressed her long nails into the window frame. She crouched down as if to spring when her world turned upside down. She landed hard on her back. Before she registered what was happening, she was flying backwards again, this time landing hard against the wall. James had returned, livid. He grabbed her face, checking for traces of blood from a recent feed. His hands were strong, and she could smell the blood that he had just consumed through his skin. She whimpered, "'I didn't! I didn't leave!' I was starving and you left me here to rot. I left you here so I could feed enough to keep us both alive, you naive bitch. Rolling up his sleeve, Geraldine closed her eyes and braced for another blow. Instead, the scent of blood overwhelmed her senses. James offered his inner arm to his convert and she didn't need to be asked twice. She drank deeply, gripping his wrist. Blood ran down her chin. When James felt himself slightly weakened, he pulled away, holding up his other hand in a warning not to challenge him. Still slightly hungry, Geraldine licked the remains around her mouth. She sucked the blood-soaked collar of her shirt as she tried to calm her bloodlust. There was little reprieve from the anger that consumed James. We only have two days. 
We're two days away from the game, and you have no control, let alone connection, to Cadell. This is the last feed I give to you. Find a way into his head by way of his heart or his bed, but do it. If you fail to meet the terms of our contract, I will lock you into the facility myself. Geraldine pleaded desperately. You can't still think that Cadell is the real power here. Ruth has the entire game set up. Rumors say she's gathered an A-list of global players. Celebrities, society members, the likes this planet has never put together before in history. When the actual game is being played, who will be the hero? The person who invited those who attended, or the person who deals the death match? Ruth may have set up the game in motion, but we need the vampire team to lose. Lose? Are you crazy? Geraldine stared at James. I want Ruth to make a historic downfall, and I need Cadell to make it happen. So tell me, would you rather have the man calling the moves on the board feel the need to protect you or kill you? Geraldine had no idea what was motivating James, but was sure that if she wasn't his ally, he surely would find another queen. Maybe Cadell would let her feed if she should seduce him. Stripping off her shirt and jeans, she scavenged through the suitcase and found her best lingerie. She plopped herself on the bed, pulling on the garter and black stockings, thong bikini panties and a black lace bra. She pulled her hair down and let it sit messy over her shoulders and breasts. Will this do? she asked James through hooded eyes. Get him under your thumb tonight, or I will be crowning a new queen by tomorrow night, James replied harshly. As Geraldine made her way out of the royal bedroom, she plotted for her survival. Choosing immortality was a mistake. She might have lived longer in her human form than the one accompanying her shadow down the hall. Regret wouldn't keep her alive. She found Cadell's door and with two guards at the threshold. She waltzed up to the first boldly and asked him if there was a password. He said nothing, too stunned to see the queen in so little. The other guard was similarly affected, and she smiled. The game master and I have a few moves we have to discuss. Neither of them stopped her as she walked in and closed the door. She knew they wouldn't. Unlike James, the younger, modern vampire, Cadell was traditional. He was lounging, reading the paper Maria had left for him while he was still in his coffin. He looked up, but could not conceal his surprise. Uncomfortably, Cadell glanced over at the computer monitor. The screen was broken up into small, several cells, each showing Maria sleeping from different angles and also her security detail. It must be very difficult for you, Geraldine sighed, tracing a manicured nail tip along the screen while pulling out a small desk chair and sitting down in front of it. I mean, James will occasionally fuck me, but really, he loves someone who is already dead. But you, she paused to play with the end of her hair, you love a woman whom you can't fuck for fear of killing her in the act. If you turn her, she'll just go off to be with another. She won't need you any more. And so day after day I watch you as you pine for her. It seems as though your body must... She stopped. Must what? Cadell asked, trying to hold his composure. Geraldine leaned forward ever so slightly, giving him a glimpse into her perky breasts. She let go of the end of her hair and let it cascade across her chest as she replied.
You must ache. You are a woman, and so you see the nature that is a man, whether he be human or vampire, Cadell admitted. With graceful speed, Geraldine stood and leaned on the desk as if she were looking at the sleeping Maria. Her high heels and thonged bikini revealed her long legs and the small of her back. She asked him a question, not turning around to look at him in the eye, for a few long seconds. Do you ever long for a release? She turned slowly to address him further. When I was alive, I found that to be alive is to throw away the stresses of the days and the nights. She took off her left shoe. Some of my clients paid me quite well to keep them in drugs that would give them the illusion of release, but that was just a chemical reaction. She took off her right shoe. To be French is to know the secret of real pleasure, and from the height of pleasure comes the serenity of release. Wouldn't you agree? At this question, she unhooked her bra and threw it to the floor. Cadell was gripping the side of his coffin. He tried to find Maria in one of the many security screens, but Geraldine was now sitting on the table before the monitor. She opened her legs. Couldn't we help each other? Let me give you the pleasure of your human love that she cannot? And in exchange you can fill up the emptiness in my heart, for my love cries for another. She was sure to say the last bit with a thicker French accent, as if her sincerity might be more convincing. Geraldine climbed into Cadell's coffin and crawled to him on all fours. Please, she whispered. As she leaned in to kiss him, he gripped her throat tightly. There was deliberation in his hold of her. A kiss is for love, and that is something reserved for her, not you. Surely there are things you would like to do with her besides kiss her, Geraldine pursued. Cadell closed his eyes, and his grip was no longer at her throat, but gripping her body. The lingerie was torn away effortlessly as he ravaged her. She became disoriented as she felt her body leave the ground. She had not grown accustomed to flying, but Cadell carried both of them to the ceiling effortlessly. He pressed her body against the top of the wall and drove himself deep inside of her. Once their two bodies had become one, he dug his talons into the plaster ceiling and made love to her wildly. The gravity pulled on her as he countered and thrust himself into her from beneath. It was both terrifying and orgasmic. With each thrust she felt as though she might fall to the floor, and yet the lack of the bed made the sensation all the more appealing. She took him again after they had rested, this time in his coffin. From the corner of her eyes she could see movement in the corner monitor. She threw him into the dirt inside the edges of the coffin that startled him. Geraldine was slow. She was calculated. She built him up over time, like her clients in Paris. He craved her and what she offered above anything else in the world. Just as Cadell reached climax, Geraldine smiled and joined him. She heard the clicking of the tumblers in the lock, and with the dawn of her plan to control Cadell, was a welcoming as the sun. From upstairs, James heard a scream, followed by the sound of running. 
Unsure what Geraldine had decided to do, he chanced the charring of his skin in the rising sun and ran downstairs. He found Maria, hysterical and scrambling for her keys. Clearly, Geraldine had successfully seduced Cadell. James found Maria's keys and cell phone. He programmed his number in quickly and gave both to the frantic girl. Tears streaming down Maria's face, she stumbled to the car and drove out of sight, gravel flying as she did so. Geraldine, wrapped in Cadell's robe and sunglasses, sauntered into the kitchen. Well done. How will you keep him from blaming you? He's a smart man. He knows he was the only one to blame. Let him lie awake in his coffin all day. Tonight I will twist what is already broken. Now that sounds like a queen talking. The prodigal son returns, Ruth mused. Scathing as Micah showed his security badge and passed the guards in the stadium. You told me to take care of things, and I did. Now I'm back, and I have things to report, Micah replied calmly. Things to report to me, or things to report to the council, Ruth tested. I wouldn't have tracked you down before the tour if I wasn't reporting to you and you alone. How can I be sure? Because I have exclusive information as well as this. Micah placed a small box in her hand. Open it. Reluctantly, Ruth did so and held up a pendant on a gold chain. What's this? A dub of peace? She asked sarcastically. Micah paused and breathed deeply. No. It was Emily's, given to her by the Royal Music Conservatory. I thought to bury her with it, but instead... I thought it might look better on you, a gesture from the heart. If only mine were still beating, he smirked meekly, hoping that the gift was convincing. And the information, Ruth asked, her expression blank. Robbie contacted me. I know security has been searching for the human team base. Here's the address to the house, where they will remain until the game is finished. Ruth said nothing. Micah watched her nervously. She dialed her cell and dispersed the security detail to Kevin's house. A few minutes later, the captain confirmed the address. She hung up. Jeremiah looked surprised to find Micah and Ruth in the stadium before him. Shall we convene the council tour? he asked cautiously. Ruth clipped the necklace around her neck and gave a quick glance at Micah. I second the motion. I'm concerned about news coverage, Micah began. The inner city death toll is rising. Can we take our vampiric guests to the outer cities to feed? Jeremiah was enraged. This is the very reason we have to have this game. Have the spectators no respect or discretion? They will when I'm done with them, Ruth confirmed, making both of her counterparts stop and stare. Jeremiah continued. The human team is assembled. I just received confirmation today. Security detail has arrived. When will their gear be delivered? asked Micah. Ruth smiled. Tell them their uniforms and weaponry will arrive tomorrow. Oh, and Micah, can you pay them a personal call? Make sure they know which of those weapons are the dangerous pointy ends, so we don't have self-mutilating before the game. Maria's phone vibrated like it had a hundred times. She refused to talk to Cadell. Glancing down from the road, she noticed this number was different. 
In spite of her best intuition, she answered. Maria, just listen to me. Cadell is beside himself and admits to being in love with you. This is your one chance to make him grovel for that love, as well as to get revenge on the queen. Are you interested? Why should I believe you, Maria spat? Next to you, I'm the only other person who wants to see the queen and the entire game fail. Come back to Detroit. Come to the game. Help me, and I guarantee you and your love will be on a plane back to Italy this time next week. But the choice is yours. Why, why would you want to kill your own queen? Maria asked. James paused. His voice cracked slightly. She gave me the heroin junkie in the alley. She video recorded the kill. The bar security camera had been broken for months. Geraldine turned me in and in the process killed the only love I will ever know. <laughs>